Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott after another good weekend of games. Rinse and repeat, they're all good, but this weekend we saw the number one team in the AP poll go down at the hands of Notre Dame. Notre Dame trying to make a case for not just being a cute little underdog playoff story every once in a while. They want to be one of the big dogs. So We'll see if we believe that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, what do you say, bud? Another good weekend, man. This is one of those weekends where you just kind of pinch yourself. You're like, man, this this is a cool job. You know, sometimes yeah. you're like, okay, all these games suck, and it's still a cool job, but it's not quite as cool. Like, this is this was a weekend where it was just fun because all, all your buddies were watching all the games, too. Like, this was a, a dynamite weekend of college football. And, and even though it's kind of a weird-feeling season, like, this is the weekend to me – where it felt like the most normal out of all. I mean, granted, we had the Trevor Lawrence being out with COVID hanging over all the stuff, whatever, but it just these felt like they were big time games. For for a moment, I kind of forgot there weren't, you know, fans in the stands or, or at least not many, you know, and, and that was that was cool. That it, it really like the excitement was awesome. I I want to kick it off here tonight with, with some questions that you texted me earlier. I, I I like these. I think we can hit a lot of games talking about these. You want to go least excited or, or most excited fan base right now? Okay, so I think I was thinking about this. I, I think the to me the more interesting conversation is least excited, but that's a that's a very negative way to start the show. We got some good news, some great performances. So I feel like we got to start off with most excited. So here's the here's the way I'll phrase this question, though it could probably be taken a lot of different ways. And, and and you can sort of kind of go where you want with it in terms of what what the answer is and 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 how you um, how you sort of perceive this the question or receive it. But the way I phrase it is, what fan base? Or say, who would you be most excited to be a fan of right now? Like, what team would you be most excited to be within the fan base of right now? And I will give you a few options you're welcome to throw any others out there um that 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 deserve to be mentioned in this sort of realm but here here are the options miami notre dame florida texas a&m north carolina arkansas maryland the obviously the common theme is sort of teams that appear to be leveling up in some way. And so sort of whatever, so, so take that wherever you want to go with it, uh, hit on a couple of you want hit on one, hit on, hit on all of them, whatever you want to do. But wh where, where does your mind go when I ask you a question like that? I, I, I think it's a great list. And, and one, you also texted me, Arkansas. As those those fans oh, have got to be over did, the did, moon. I didn't mention Arkansas. All right, yeah, uh, Arkansas is on there. If I didn't say it in the tech in the te in the text you had it uh, in in the podcast form, uh, no. But since we don't we don't put our text online, I figured I'd mention it. Arkansas man has got to be got to be high on there as well. Just like they're what do they have three wins now? I mean that's that's a hell of a lot more than I thought they'd have than than probably their fans thought they would have. Uh, they they played great last night. I in in my head when you texted me this, I I, I kind of went. Process of elimination, right? So, you know, Miami's having an awesome year, better year than I think most thought they would have. But also, I think in the back of their minds, they're thinking, all right, is this all Derek King? And on Friday night, I mean, he was 430 in the air and 105 on the ground, and yep. he may not be here next year. And mm -hmm. Miami could have the best year they've had in quite a while and still not make the title game. So, for me, it's not Miami. I, I think it's kind of the next three on your list, man. Notre Dame, Florida, A&M. Notre Dame – 
even though I'm not personally convinced that they're national championship caliber, because I, I still don't see the explosive plays for their offense, but that defense played exceptionally well against Clemson. They, they totally took away the run. Look, maybe Clemson beats them with Trevor Lawrence. I think I'd probably pick, pick Clemson if, if they had Trevor back, even though I know what DJ, you know, did, but Notre Dame is having their best season in, in, in a long time. Beat number one at home is the, they have to feel great. Brian Kelly's recruiting well, and like you just at this point, you just got to kind of embrace Brian Kelly and trust him, right? Like the, the guy's a really good football coach, and does a, a whole lot with with the, what they have there. Florida, Florida might be like the pick here though for me, because a the the timing just was right. Like this is the year you had to get it, and you can make the same argument. Like if Notre Dame doesn't beat doesn't beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. I mean, shit, when are they ever going to do it? But, man, like, Florida goes out and gets the monkey off their back with Georgia. And they do it in a way that I don't think a lot of people thought they would do, right? Georgia largely took away Kadarius Toney. And I don't say they took away Kyle Pitts, but they certainly schemed to limit Kyle Pitts before he got hurt. And I know Georgia was banged up on defense, but Florida went out there and their other pass catchers balled out all over Georgia's defense. And Kirby Smart got out coached badly, I think, you know, offense defense wise here by Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen put on a clinic against against Dan Lanning. So, that was really I, I think exciting to see for Florida fans and they have to think, okay, now that we got this dub, our recruiting is going to take off. So may, may, maybe Notre Dame Florida for me are are the two there and that's obvious cuz what just happened this weekend, but like those were big time wins and both those teams by the way were, were, were underdogs in those games. We had two upsets. Yeah, which is kind of kind of crazy to me in the Florida deal. I agree with you. I think my answer is Florida here. Like if, if I'm a Florida fan right now, I'm stoked. And it's and sometimes it seems like Florida fans are are just they're they kind of they kind of stay a little grumpy, like they kind of stay a little dissatisfied. Like Dan Mullen, his recruiting sometimes is is just it doesn't doesn't get the headlines quite that they want. Uh, there's, there, there's a, a little bit of just restlessness. And obviously I think that that'll, that'll probably diminish as soon as Florida hits the playoffs. Um, whenever that comes, it seems as though it, it, to me, it seems like it's, it's an inevitability at some point now under Dan Mullen, not necessarily because this year's team is going to be going to be able to beat Alabama. They might be able to, but I, that's not what I'm predicting here. I'm just saying like in, in today's modern day college football. And I have like there this this is a this is like this, this reoccurring theme in a lot of my conversations in in from an evaluation standpoint, from a game breakdown standpoint, like talking about the like who's playing modern, who's not, right? Florida under Dan Mullen is a team that is built to win. He is he is so good at developing the quarterback position. He is a, such a good offensive coach. They are close enough from a talent perspective. And we just saw that against Georgia. I mean, Georgia has the more talented roster than Florida from a re- recruiting rankings perspective. And that certainly wasn't evident and and on Saturday night. And so th- it's not like they they're they're at a talent deficit they're not at some some extreme talent disadvantage now I know Kyle Trask is gone next year but it's but Dan Mullen he did it with Nick Fitzgerald he did it with I mean he did it with Kyle Trask like Kyle Kyle Trask wasn't like he was a backup to Felipe Franks and so I think that this team and they've recruited pretty well on defense they've got some young guys that are coming up like I, I just think you're you're in a great spot you're all of a sudden, um, with that win, I think you could make a case that you are now in the driver's seat in the East until Georgia beats you again. Because that wasn't a fluky win, and the style of play that that Florida is is putting on the field is, again, I think a much more apt style of play for playing for national titles, playing for playoff bursts, playing for SEC titles. So... I think Florida would be my answer. I do think, I think I agree with you on Miami. You know, we got to see what happens next year. Miami is too easy to fall back down to earth. 
Uh, Notre Dame, I think, is a super exciting place right now because they did just go head-to-head, literally kind of told Clemson what, what they're going to do and did it. And, and it was a hell of a game, but they won. And they're going to have to do it again. And who knows what that's going to look like. But, but right now, I just think it's, I think it's a fun, fun program to be in because Notre Dame is another program that has been sitting here and, and, and it's been feeling a little bit like unworthy, like feeling a little bit like not enough. Like we're Notre Dame. We're supposed to be this dominant juggernaut program and all these other programs are passing us by. And we're here. We are just sort of reserved to the, to the kids table at Thanksgiving. And there, I think they've proven under Brian Kelly now over the last really three years, they're not at the kids' table anymore. Like they're back up at the big boy table and they're, they're really legitimately competing. So I, I think they're in, ex, in an exciting place. And I love the Brian Kelly sort of rhetoric we've hear, heard lately. Um, I, the, the one and I agree with you on Arkansas, like of all the results on, uh, on Saturday, though, maybe it's not as indicative of long-term success. Um, but Maryland's the, if I'm a Maryland fan, that's the result where I got drunkest last night. That's the result of all those teams where I went out and I said, drinks on me, let's go. It is a new era. I don't know if this is like a false flag or not, but I'm going to have fun with it while we just kick the snot out of Penn state. And I, I think that that's a fun place to be as well, just a little bit of promise, a little bit of excitement, a quarterback that's that is competent, which we didn't think we had week one after Northwestern throttled him. And so, uh, and you got a true freshman flashing it, linebacker, true freshman flashing it, wide receiver. Like there's a lot of exciting things going on with Maryland. Obviously, that's a steep, steep hill to climb in the in the Big Ten East year in, year out. But uh for for a single weekend at least, they they might have been the most excited. You know, taking this back to Florida real fast, well, one thing else that I think Mullen really deserves credit for is being able to adapt his offense to something that is not normally what he does, right? Like Kyle Trask is a very different quarterback than almost all the yeah. quarterbacks that Mullen's had success with. And honestly, what, what what is one of the criticisms of the Urban Meyer offensive coaching tree? Assuming you don't put Ryan Day in that, even though I guess he was with him for, you know, what, a year? Um, it's that they're too reliant on QB run game. And that was that spread option QB run game stuff was really effective, uh, you know, in, in in the aughts. But mm-hmm. you know, now that teams are able to throw the ball better, you know, maybe not not quite as quite, quite as effective. Kyle Trask is not a good runner of the ball. Like he's kind of statuesque, old school throw of the football. And yet Florida finds awesome ways to to have him distribute the football. Now we see who Mullen recruits, obviously. Like like he's he, I think, aspires to have more mobility at the quarterback position than Trask has, just given on, on who, who he signs and who he offers. However, uh, I, I think this could be a, a good overall thing for him long-term, that he has shown the ability to develop the passing game more, even without the QB run game stuff. Uh, and even when he has a more mobile quarterback in there, uh, like like an Emory Jones or, or whomever, whoever you go with in the future, maybe Anthony Richardson, like m- maybe those guys will be able to uh, to throw the ball even better in, in, in more diverse ways. So I, I think that that deserves a whole lot of credit. And uh, by the way, did uh, did Jerry Pruitt ever think about hiring Kendall Browse? Interviewed him. Said hmm. thanks, but no thanks. It, that's uh, that's curious. I don't know, man. <laughs> they had a four to one run to pass ratio, like three quarters into that game. Like the, I know Garantano got hurt, but they're like trying to salt the game away with like like thirty five minutes left. All right, all right. Put a pin in that just for okay. a second. All right, okay. Because because we want to get back to that. I want to quickly get. So first of all, Arkansas agree with everything you say. Like that is talk about a program that should just be walking on the clouds right now, thinking that they're going to be looking for a win anywhere they could get it this year. They're sitting at three and three and the players believe and they have a Kendall Bryles, like you just mentioned, calling great games while uh, Barry Odom may be a defensive coordinator of the year. And that's the type of guy that just failed as a head coach in, in the SEC. He ain't trying to jump ship for a new job anytime soon. 
Kendall Browse, I, I don't know what his aspirations are, but like that could be a staff that's in place for a few years. Um, so Arkansas, but they're still in the SEC West and Texas A&M, they're still looking up at Texas A&M. And the only thing that keeps me from saying Texas A&M is like, you know, drinks on us type of mentality as well after just absolutely waxing South Carolina is they still have that Alabama game in their rearview mirror. Like that's still who they're looking up to. Jimbo Fisher is still there to beat Alabama. Um, but there, there's no question that things are, things are, are suddenly in a much more comfortable place than maybe, I don't know, three weeks ago, even two weeks ago. Like I just, that like getting a win like that against a team, even like South Carolina and they're no, they're not South Carolina is, is, you know, you, you didn't beat anybody of note there. I mean, you didn't beat an average SEC team, but you crushed them. And I think like it, I don't think you really start feeling good about your team until you can do that until you can lay 20 points and feel good about it. The only uh, thing that like, I, I was going to say A&M here. The only thing that bothered me about this is that I just think South Carolina quit. And like, I know that that's a heavy accusation, but like Barton, South Carolina's defense came out hot in this game, man. Like they, they were limiting, limiting A&M. They were flying around. They were playing with great effort. A&M, I think they had like 156 yards on their first 35 plays. Like that's not good, right? Yeah. Like South Carolina was busting its ass to try and stay in this game and its offense didn't show up at all. And I think at a certain point, the defense just said, all right, man, we're done with this shit. Right, like, like we're, we're we're not doing this anymore. And then the final five drives for A and M, they had like 350 yards and five tutties. And part of that is A and M deserving credit because they they bullied South Carolina all throughout the second half. But I do think South Carolina's defense kind of quit a little bit. Like there there was some quit there. Um, so that that's the reason why I didn't really pick A and M. But they they are looking better for sure. And and defensive line for for A and M is no joke. Like, they're getting after it. Each kind of passing game for me, that that, that D-line wrecks another, another offense, gives me even more respect for Bama's offensive line and how much time they gave Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I was talking to a Florida buddy today at a kid's birthday party, and he's, he's pretty knowledgeable. He's like, man, I'm so excited. But God, like, are we going to give Mac Jones, like, seven seconds in the pocket to just bomb these dudes? And I was like, mm, I'm, I, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you enjoy your win. But, you know, that's, that's maybe whoever, whoever gets like sneaks a turnover in there somewhere along the way wins race to 50, you know? Yeah. 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 I think I got it ranked. I would, I would go Florida as the fan base. I would most want to be adopted by right now. Uh, followed by, I would say Notre Dame followed by Texas A&M. No, 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 no. Give me part of that Arkansas. Maryland. Okay. Oh, Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna jump in on Arkansas. Then I'll go Maryland after A and M. Then I'll go uh, North Carolina because there's a like the, North Carolina's a little bit more of you know a long term projection. Like we're still in the midst of things right now. Um, yeah, they they put it on Duke, but you know they, they did lose to Florida State earlier this year. They did lose to a, a one win Virginia at the time, and and so. Um, and then I th- I'm with you. I think Miami is sort of last because I don't trust Miami. Like M- Miami is just too, but I mean, they almost lost to NC state. And so, um, but I can't wait to see Jimbo knowing that he needs style points. It's like all of a sudden, no huddle A and M let's go, let's go, let's go. Like 15 possessions, 18 possessions, none of this 10 position game stuff. Let's he's going to call plays as fast as he talks, man. Like, like a and M. I was thinking about like who needs style points down the stretch. Like you might have runner-up Notre Dame against nine and one Texas A and M, but they're going to need style points. So okay, so let's say Alabama beats Florida convincingly. Um, is that the is that the scenario you're thinking of that gives A and M a shot? All right, so it's Alabama's yeah. in, and then as the second candidate from the SEC, Texas A and M. That's that's the scenario. Texas A&M versus potentially two loss Oklahoma Big Twelve champion against, let's assume Clemson with Trevor and probably just as importantly those defensive guys back. Clemson t- take takes the ACC. Or probably probably even better shot of of Notre Dame beating Clemson a second time. Don't you sure. think? 
Yeah. Because then, because if Clemson wins again, you can make a case that Notre Dame deserves to be the fourth. Well, that's why I think AM needs the style points. Right. Like, like, like it's especially if Notre Dame and Clemson split, then AM is going to be like, like, hey, you better look really, really impressive in all these remaining games. You, you, you better thump Tennessee this weekend. You, you, you better win out and Tennessee, whatever, but like LSU Auburn are two kind of names remaining that, that, that voters will care about. So better case for Texas A&M to make the playoffs that Alabama beats Florida convincingly or that Florida team that they beat beats Alabama. Oh, I, I think Bama, Bama, like Bama for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, you're, you're not going to jump A&M, which lost by what? Four scores to, yeah. to or, or three scores. No, that, that won't happen. I, I don't think. Do you think yeah. so? No, no, no. I agree with you. I was just thinking through it because I had like the idea of of because uh, Florida, if they beat Alabama, obviously they're in, and in the SEC championship game, and then you know the the other case if if A and M keeps on rolling late in the season and they 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 got a W over the team that is in the playoffs like right. that, you know I, I think that there's a spin that presents that as a strong resume, but I, I'm with you. I think Bama winning convincingly over Florida is probably their best bet. That way you kind of further separate Alabama from the pack and you just say, okay, amongst the mere mortals here that aren't Alabama, Florida is, is got, or Texas A&M has got to be in. All right. So here, here's the second, here's the second um, part of this, which in a way this is kind of more interesting. And this is, this is actually where, this this question originated for me. What fan base would you be the least excited to be a part of right now? What fan base, if you were in this fan base, you would be really downtrodden. Like you would be really discouraged. Which of these? And here are your options. And if there's another one that would fit this, let me know. UCLA, USC, even though they came off a win, but I'm going to put the USC in there because they really shouldn't have. Michigan, Tennessee, Texas off a win, and Nebraska. I know, I, I know, I actually know my answer to this, but I'm curious what yours would be. Okay, so I'm going to strike the programs that I think like, could have relief soon, Okay. Because I, I feel like implicit in this is not just, hey, our season is bad this year, uh, but it is also, and we are going nowhere fast. Like, we're, we're stuck here for for the foreseeable future. So, I think you could see some kind of resolution at USC at the end of the year. If things don't go well, so I'm going to strike them. And they also won. So, like, I right. think at least you're, you're kind of happy. Right. This is the last year Jim Harbaugh's contract. I don't think Michigan would fire Jim Harbaugh, but if he did want to go back to the NFL, if he just feels it's not going to work out or something like that, okay. So I'm going to strike them. And I think Texas has enough money to be able to say, pandemic, pandemic, whatever. Like, if we want Tom Herman out, Tom Herman's going to be out. Now, they, they, they have won a couple in a row now, deserve it or not. They could still win the Big 12, which would be hilarious, by the way, if Texas were to win the Big 12 and fire Herman in the same day or, you know, in the same season. So I, I think it's for me and it's hard to pick this because I don't really know how much, I don't want to say that UCLA has, has dedicated fans. They just don't have a ton of them, you know, but like the ones they do have are, are really, really passionate. I, for me, I, I think it's UCLA. Like you go out, you have Chip Kelly, you're super excited. Like this is the most excited you've been about your program in year years when they hired Chip, he's done nothing so far. The recruiting has not been good. They lose to a Colorado team like Carl Durrell. We were already making excuses for him because he got hired like in the middle of summer, basically like like no spring ball, no no national signing day, none of that kind of stuff at, at, at Colorado. He got hired after Mel Tucker. Remember, they were just like, All right, we'll just wait on this a little bit, and yet. All the reports I read say UCLA absolutely cannot fire Chip Kelly anytime soon. A lot of years left on that deal at big money. Um, so they're just kind of stuck. I, For me, I, I think my number one answer is UCLA. All right. So the the reason – so I, if you're saying they're kind of stuck with Chip Kelly, then maybe that, that – def- like I, I'm thinking like at this point Chip Kelly is just 
this is not this is a this is a dead marriage like this one this it's a matter of it's a matter of when not if yep um and, and so that's kind of why I don't have UCLA as the team that I picked here because I'm kind of like this is bad but we're going to get through this and we'll find someone else at, at that point um USC kind of the same deal like USC is it's it's frustrating you know, Clint, they, they really didn't have any business beating Arizona State. Arizona State was the better team. So we're back. That That's clear. Even though USC won, it's clear, uh, you know, like take a sigh. Your heart sinks a little bit. We're just back to being just a average or above average Pac-12 team. Uh, but we we have the ability to beat anybody on the right night. And... You know we're we're you know we're still going to compete for Pac-12 titles with with that sort of a team. So it's frustrating, but we're not in a terrible spot. Um, Michigan this year is ugly. This year seems like the ugliest to this point, and they're they're attempting, but but I still look. You're still coming off a bunch of ten win seasons. You're still you know you're still in there. You're still playing in big games, and you still occasionally blow out a good team. Um, so. I'm okay, you know. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Michigan slide. I'm gonna let Texas slide because I still think that Texas is a team, even under Tom Herman, where I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if next year Texas is a is a playoff team. It wouldn't shock me. I don't expect that. I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't predict that. But Texas has enough talent, and Tom Herman is not an incompetent coach. It's just they just can't get it all together. And so I don't think they're that far away. Now, granted, they should have lost to Texas Tech. They should have lost to Oklahoma State. And they probably should have lost to West Virginia. But they're still not that far away. And they had to find ways to win. And so, um, and you know what? Like, they nearly beat Oklahoma. And they, so it's just, you know, things aren't awful. It's just what the expectations are. The Nebraska... This is this is just frustrating. This is just tough. This is it's just taking longer than we expected. But I wouldn't necessarily believe if I'm a Nebraska fan that we still don't have the right guy. I would just be very frustrated with how long it's taking. I think that the team I pick here in terms of just my level of frustration as a fan would be Tennessee. And that's because. It's and 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 there's nuance here. Like I don't think like Jerry Pruitt is the worst coach. I don't think that Tennessee has is is uh, is is hit rock bottom. Like none of that stuff. Like Tennessee's a quality team. Jerry Pruitt is is a quality coach. But the like to be in year three and to be losing to Arkansas in year one of Sam Pittman and to just see the that there that this hat like this hadn't taken off like we were just convincing us we had convinced ourselves that Tennessee as as us Tennessee fans we had convinced ourselves that we were about to take off on this rocket ship this year and now not only are we not taking off on this rocket ship like we're not even close we're not really close and and I think that that disparity from where a you think you should be b where you thought you were headed and see where you actually are is a really big gap to bridge here in just a, a fan base's psyche. And so I feel for Tennessee fans right now to look at that product against Arkansas and be like, that's it? That's what we've got in year three? That Like, what's the future here? Like, what, what are we going to look up and in three more years, Tennessee is going to be playing for SEC titles? It doesn't feel like it right now. After this weekend, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like I, I just don't know. It feels a little bit like a Will Muschamp type trajectory right now, um, and so that that's I think that that kind of um, feeling would be tough to sit with as a fan. I there's so much in this very weird pandemic season that I just don't feel like I have a handle on, man. And like a lot of it's like okay, whatever. And even if you think you know about a team, like the re- results week to week, unless you're one of the like the top four or five teams in the nation, are just so wildly inconsistent c- c- compared to prior weeks. I-, I was talking to Bill Connolly, and I think he tweeted this, so I'll-, I'll go ahead and share it. He's like, "Yeah, man, my my ATS stuff th- th- this this year has either been like sixty percent or forty percent below. Like, and 
his overall stuff's not bad, but it's just up and down every week. And and I I'm willing to give almost every team in the nation a pass for this year. Just I feel like it's it's kind of a just a blatant money grab of a season, right? Like we got got to play these games. We have TV, TV inventory to get our checks. That's not to say the kids don't want to play because they obviously do. But one thing that I'm confident I got right all preseason and took a lot of heat for it was not buying in on Tennessee. I, I, I thought that, you know, a lot of the quarterbacks they played down the stretch last year were, were backups and were not very good. I, I thought that, like, that win streak they had last year was not indicative of real improvement. And I started to doubt myself for the first couple games this year. And then as I got as I dug into their play calling more, I realized, oh my God, like Tennessee thinks its run game is good. And so it just keeps running the ball over and over and over again. I'm like, guys, your run game sucks. Your passing game is much better than your run game, probably because nobody ever expects you to pass. But like if you could the, the play calling, and I'm not a big like criticize the play calling guy. But just every time Tennessee gets up there, all right, let's run the ball on first down. 1998 Phil Fulmer ball. I mean, they're not like a decade behind an offense. They're like two, three decades behind an offense. It's bad, man. And like there is zero evidence that Jeremy Pruitt, a Jeremy Pruitt head coach team can have a good offense. It's basically must champ land here. Like I I wanted to give him a pass for this. I wanted to say he's closer to Kirby Smart. But I'm going to defend Kirby Smart for a second here. Kirby Smart went out and got a new offensive system that he believes is much more modern. I think he understands what you know what Bama's trying to do there and, and try to be like them a little bit. He went out and got two transfers that, that he thought were better fits for that system. The one guy seems like he's not ready to play, and the other dude, you know, Jamie Newman, transferred out. At, like at least, at least George is trying. Tennessee. All right, let's just big old man ball him. All right, like Tennessee is it, it's Sunday night, man, and and Tennessee is still establishing the run. Like Arkansas has packed up their their post game show from the field. Tennessee is still just smashing the ball into the line. I see where you're going with this, but I'll read you something from Patrick Brown of Twenty Four Seven Sports Balls Two Four Seven. Pruitt's contract was extended two years now, going through the end of the 2025 season and expiring January of 2026. He'll begin to receive his $400,000 raise in 2021. He actually took a pass on it for this year because of the pandemic, uh, which means that he'll make about 4.2 mil uh, per year through the 2025 season. So Tennessee has five more years of Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, they can afford to buy out, but not anytime soon, probably. I just think he has time to, to modernize the offense if he wants. He has a guy in Harrison Bailey who could end up being good. And if I'm Tennessee, like my whole fandom is built on hope, right? And them kind of manipulating recruiting rankings in the offseason by taking a zillion guys and getting out ahead and be like, oh my God, Tennessee's making a charge number one when you know they're not going to finish top five. I, I think I can still buy into the hope, but man, like after last year you had a lot more hope than you have now. Like this this makes it look like like last year was a total mirage. And I, this is this is who this is. It looks like Tennessee is a defensive coordinator for a head coach so far. Yeah, I think that's the that's the discouraging part is look, I, I agree that eight wins, the eight consecutive wins or what it was, six consecutive wins. I forgot what it was, but I, yeah, I think it, it was, was six and maybe eight, 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 including the first two this year. Um and so there you, go. you know, the eight consecutive wins were not. I and you know, you weren't I wasn't fooled on that. Like it wasn't against anyone that was significantly of note, but it was still eight wins. And that's hard. It's hard in the SEC. It's hard anywhere. And so, okay, like we got something here. We're finding something. We're gaining confidence. There's another off season. And granted it's a truncated limited off season, but okay. Um, I, I guess I just expected some improvement, some development and, and things have stagnated. It doesn't mean that they've hit a plateau. It doesn't mean that there's not another, uh, elevation to come, but I think in terms of where it felt like things were headed, I think that's sort of where disappointment comes. Um, there's a sort of resignation to a few of these other programs with Tennessee. This is sort of hitting everyone in the face a little bit about, Whoa, I thought we were, I I thought this was going to be different and it's just, it's not right now. Um, I do think a close, a close second here would be to me, probably Michigan uh, just because I don't know, like that's, this is cause we're, you're, you're in such a purgatory right now 
with, um, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a good coach and Michigan does have some, 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 some obstacles and hurdles to, to being at the level of some of these playoff teams. Uh, and Harbaugh does a lot of things really well and Michigan has played well under him, but um, this has been a really, this has been a really t- tricky start here. And I, I don't think I'd be feeling too good if I was a Michigan fan and in, in seeing the way the defense continues to, you know, fails to, fails to adapt, fails to adjust. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of kicking myself for not seeing that Indiana thing. Cause when Indiana traditionally, like the way Indiana scares these teams is they just go, they just like go downfield and yeah. let, and let some big receiver, let, let some talented receivers try to make a play. And they've had some success and in putting a scare into some really good teams in the past by playing that way. Michigan is totally vulnerable if you're good and you're, you're, you're willing and, and Indiana is a team right now that feels like it has a better, uh, a better team vibe, a better team mojo, like chemistry, oh, sure. like and so like that sort of stuff is certainly going to matter with with a season like this. And so, in retrospect, I picked Michigan. I thought Michigan was going to that was that was a clear cover opportunity, but um, I, I I feel like that was a. That, that, that was missing a lot of signs that Indiana was the right play there. And uh, that that's a, I think that's an indictment on Jim Harbaugh. So let's, let's go ahead and give Indiana credit for this though, for stepping up their game, because I, I agree with you that in, in theory, like that could be a, a missed opportunity for evaluation, but like I, I played Indiana under their team total. I thought, okay, like I, I don't, do I trust Michigan's offense that much to get the cover or do I, or do I really trust that, so far, Indiana has a good defense, but also an offense that has been kind of poor to date, right? Like, they didn't do a damn thing against Penn State, and they really weren't any good against uh, – who did they play week two? Um, Rutgers. Yeah, like, they really didn't look that good against Rutgers. And yeah. this game was a breakout game. Now, Indiana wasn't really efficient on offense. But they, they threw it 50 times to get 300 yards. Like, that's not great. You know, if you got to chuck it 50 times to get 300, that's, you know, Michigan's passing offense was actually the much more effective passing offense in this game. The thing was, Indiana's defense just just kicked the crap out of Michigan's offensive line. Michigan, I think, had like 18 rushing yards in the game. And you have Joe Milton back there, quarterback. Like, you should be able to run the ball, especially with with, with his run threat there. That was uh, that was problematic. I, I actually kind of think... And this is getting off script a little bit with the like, who would you be least excited to be a fan about? Because I'm going to come back to Michigan here, but I, I do want to give give Indiana a shout out, and I think they might have some like 2019 Minnesota to them in in that. Look, in my opinion, they were very lucky to beat Penn State. Penn State was the better team in that game by far. It was one of the absolute luckiest wins of the year, along with Texas beating Oklahoma State, and then also Oklahoma State beating Kansas State this weekend. <laughs> So the, uh, the 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 luck god smiling on on Okie State after they robbed him of one the prior weekend, and then Indiana really doesn't look any good against Rutgers either. I'm like, this is we talked about it last week. Like, who's the best best team in in, in the Big Ten aside from Ohio State? And I was like, I don't think it's Indiana. They haven't shown me that yet. Indiana came out and actually stepped up their level of play on a lot of those throws. Michigan wasn't like blowing coverages. Indiana's guys were just going up and and winning one-on-one battles. Like that was really impressive. And so if you recall with Minnesota last year, Minnesota was kind of complete BS through about the first month. They were undefeated, but they were not good. Like they were they were kind of skimming by against teams like Fresno State and whomever else. And then all of a sudden they they were good. And it took me like a game or two to recognize it. Wait a second here. Minnesota has gone from just undefeated and lucky to undefeated and, and actually turning out they're, they're playing really good ball right now. If Indiana keeps this up, they could be like a 2019 Minnesota because they, they got lucky in their first couple. I mean, I don't think they're going to be Ohio State unless COVID helps them out. But like they, they have a chance for a really nice season here. Really nice. You know, it's funny you, you say that because I agree with you. Um, but I, I remember back when in just like the spring, early previews on – team by team, Big Ten, whatever. And Indiana was a team that I had circled and highlighted as, okay, I think this team is going to have a really good year. And I think that they were initially scheduled to open the season with Wisconsin, I think. And 
and then they were going to play Wisconsin. And then, and I, I was under the, I had the belief that they had a chance at pulling that upset. And, and my, my talking point, like back in uh, two decades ago, before, you know, all this pandemic stuff was that Indiana, if they beat Wisconsin could be looking at, I think it was like seven and zero heading into uh, uh, October 31st, Halloween game against Penn state. Because after that Wisconsin game, they play a bunch of the sort of the mid-tier Big Ten schools, along with a couple of non-conference games, all of which I thought there's a good chance they'd be favored in. But it would have taken sort of, and then once you get to, once you get to Penn State at seven and zero, you got so much belief that who knows what happens. And so I, I I felt really good about Indiana because I thought there was like this big runway for them to potentially like grow as a team and and get. Um, Get, get get better and, and, and grow in confidence. And so I was less confident in Indiana with under the new schedule because they had to open the season with Penn State then. And then you get Michigan t- two weeks later. And so I, I was I was a little worried about like this, all right, my my sweetheart Cinderella pick. I'm not I'm not so excited about him anymore. And then they find a way to beat Penn State. And then the ugly game against Rutgers, they get by it, whatever. And then they just kind of start clicking against Michigan. And I'm with you. Like, I don't know what's the next iteration of this team, but um, it might be pretty good. It might be, it might be a team you don't want to play right now. So, I mean, it is that, but uh, how good that is, who they're capable of beating. um, I guess we'll see, but that that's, I I think it's only going to go potentially could continue to go up. So I, you know, I, in thinking about this, if I put UCLA in this most in, in this kind of like least excited to be a fan thing, part of it is because I, I think really like if you're a UCLA guy, you're thinking, oh my God, we got Chip Kelly. Like this is a real chance to level up. Like who could be a better fit in Westwood? Like we got him because he didn't want to go deal with, with the recruiting at Florida, you know, and, and but like we, we can really do something here on the West Coast. If you're Michigan, it's kind of like like, like, like you married the perfect girl and then you're sitting there, you're signing the divorce papers. You're like, damn, man, like, how did this not work out? You know, like, like, like who's a better fit at Michigan now? Part of the reason why I'm still not convinced Harbaugh is going to be done at Michigan is because I don't know who, like, who's the guy they go get. Is it Luke Fickle? Is it Matt Campbell? Like, there's a lot of good football coaches. A lot of guys can win at Michigan. Maybe they bite the bullet and, and row the boat. And, and I know that's not very Michigan man and, all that kind of kind of stuff, but I, like Harbaugh fit wise should have been perfect for them. And he came there and he made so much noise. Remember the satellite camps mm-hmm. and and taking this team to Rome and and doing everything the right way and and all that kind of stuff. I man, it's just but it, the, there's something missing there. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what it is necessarily other than defensive backs who can play, uh, but like. It's just that that's got to be sad for Michigan fans. They, they got to be bummed about that um, because like he was kind of the perfect fit or should have been. I'll say one thing because uh, you mentioned UCLA there. And I'll, I'll say one thing that the thing that would I think have me most encouraged right now, if I'm at UCLA is seeing what Boston college is doing because Martin Germont, their, their athletic director just hired, made, made a move with Steve Adazio and then hired Jeff Halfley as their new head coach. And Jeff Halfley, along with Sam Pittman, like those are the probably the two, right now, they're probably the two best hires of this 2020 cycle. And so I'm sitting here thinking, if I'm a UCLA fan, all right, I don't know when the time's going to come. I don't know when we're going to get the money. I don't know when we're going to be, be, you know, have the cash for this. But when it happens, like this dude just made a hell of a hire. Like what else has he got up his sleeve? That, that he can bring to, to Westwood. And I think that would be encouraging. Be, but, but no, because like the thing with Chip Kelly is, and part of the reason like why I am sort of pretty much resolved in the fact that this is not going to work is like, okay, his whole thing has been about development. His whole thing has been about player development and, um, strength and conditioning, evaluations, being basically the smartest guy in the room. And they've been recruiting horribly in the for since his arrival. 
And so this is now year three. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I had some UCLA optimism preseason last year because you're going into year two with Chip Kelly and he kind of got his, you know, he purged the roster a little bit, got his guys in. Now here we are. And no, man, year two is bad. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Well, man, year three, year three, year three is when it's going to work. And then right out of the gates, you're putting, you're, you're, you're giving up 49 to Colorado or whatever they put up on the board. Um, to, to a Colorado team that was five and seven last year and has Carl Durrell as their head coach. And Carl Durrell, frankly, Carl Durrell was a guy that I was not optimistic about either. But I, I have heard from people that have coached with him, been around him, like he's a great human being. He's a good coach. He's a good person. He's he's the other guy. Like, I don't know how well he can recruit. I don't know how much juice he has in sort of this this age of football, but he just he just he just beat Chip Kelly, and I know they had to deal with some turnovers and all that kind of stuff. But whatever. With the quarterback who was a safety last year, yeah. I mean, they 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 ran for what almost three hundred yards. I think it was. Like I, I I had it on on another screen for a minute, and man, that was that was a physical beatdown. I, you know, Barton. So, well, first of all, we need to throw this damn thing to an ad break before we forget. And then I guess I want to close this out and talk to you about. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. baseball season is in full swing which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank stample every weekday as we recap every player from every game we'll talk waiver wire ads drops players to trade for prospects who could make an impact and everything in between make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found all right, guys, we're back. Really appreciate you all giving us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you want to do it. Hit us up with those questions in the five-star reviews. That's you know, really helped us game the system there. We we talk about hangover games, and you know Florida could have one maybe this weekend against Arkansas, although it's a huge win for Arkansas. And we think about hangover games generally in, in the sense of, all right, you have a big win, you go out and party, maybe the team's not focused on the upcoming challenge. Okay. I kind of wonder this year if like hangover games and hangover stretches aren't going to be worse for the teams that kind of drink their sorrows away. It's metaphorically, but I'm I'm thinking specifically here, like Penn State. Mm -hmm. Has Penn State just quit on the season or did they just need a game to kind of get over the fact that all their goals are done because they started out 0-2? They really hadn't played that bad and they were 0-2, but it's hard to tell college kids, hey, you guys are actually, you're, you're doing fine. Like you probably should be one on one. You played you played Ohio State pretty tough. You outplayed Penn State, should have or outplayed Indiana, should have won that game. I man, I'm just having such a hard time figuring out like what's real and what's fake this year, other than the teams that are legitimately like still in the national title hunt. I do you think we're gonna see more teams just start to really, really tank here? Dude, I mean, it's this is uh it's a season of bowls. Every week's a bowl, every week is is a bowl game where you we gotta like start doing some psychoanalysis and figure out who wants to be there and who doesn't. Cause I, I agree a hundred percent. And and I'll be honest with you, you know, as I do these my my picks for sports line and my my locks for the cover three podcast and and make my own personal bets on the weekend, uh I had I had let that slide a little bit in terms of identifying and evaluating motivation. Because you're right, man. There's, you got to get your nose swabbed, you know, three times a week and you can't go see, you know, you can't go out to the bars after the games. These guys just miss Halloween, dude. Like, like how much fun was Halloween in college? Like the, the Florida state Halloween was excellent. Hell yeah. It was, was (laughs) I I still, um, I think it was, um, so 
like my one of my worst games. Well, my I don't want to say my worst game, but like my, the the hardest one to swallow. Uh, we used to play Columbia most years on Halloween, and Columbia is usually terrible. And my sophomore year, um, you know, we we should have been we should have beaten them. We were a better team. They were terrible, and I had I had like three different drop picks in that game. Two of which were should have been returned for touchdowns. One of them would have been a 99-yard touchdown return. And just a brutal game, like so many like regrets and second-guessing and like all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, man. And it was Halloween. I was like, I was like, I can't, I can't go out after this. Like this is just, I'm going to go to my room. And I'm just going to be by myself. And, you know, and, and I just, this is too, too hard to handle. The the like two hour bus drive home from Columbia to New Haven. I was, I, by that point, I was already ready to like turn up. Like it's college. It's a Saturday night. Like you, like, like I, I didn't, I, was, I can only speak myself. I didn't miss a Saturday night. Now the rest of the week I was good. I was, I was, you know, but Saturday nights was your time to get it out. And these guys can't do any of that. They can't, they can't, like, I guess they can see their girlfriend, but like, I don't know. Trevor Lawrence may have gotten dinged for that for, you know, that, I mean, he's got COVID. I don't think it was from football. And so, you know, like there's, it's a, it's a tough life right now. And if you're sitting there at zero and three right now, there's a lot of looking in the mirror you got to do and be like, how, how much, what am I, what's the point of this right now? Especially when you can opt out, you can keep your meal money, you keep, keep your scholarship, you can keep all that stuff, you can keep working out, you don't have to follow the COVID protocols. You can actually just enjoy being a college student if your season is, is you know going poorly. Like in Tallahassee, you, know, you got a lot of upperclassmen that Norvell has not been able to, to kind of get through to, and like they're worried about those guys going home on their bye week and bringing COVID back. So they had a Saturday practice, and you got some of these vets who were like, oh, we should just opt out. you know. And as far as I know, nobody opted out yet. But we'll see what happens. Obviously, they look like they opted out of that game against Pitt uh, when Kenny Pickett ended up playing and, and beating them. Um, but like, imagine not be able to go home during the bye week at all. Like that—that that sucks. And it, it just—you talk to coaches out there. This is the thing they're having to deal with d- down the home stretch. Like they—they they don't want guys opting out. They have to have enough players to play. Following all these COVID protocols all the time. As a college student, it's gonna wear on you. I I I I kind of wonder if Penn State bounces back. You know, it, after seeing this, does is Fryermuth gonna stay in? Like, what 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 happens there? I, maybe he will. I don't know. I don't know what that kid's character is or is not. But I just I, I do think we're gonna see more guys start, like treat this like you said, like like a, a month long bowl season in November. I think we're gonna see more guys opting out if, if their seasons are not going like Paris Ford just did. You know, for Pitt, and I think you're going to see some teams just out and out quitting. It's going to be really tough to handicap down the stretch, unless you're talking about the really elite teams. And then, good luck trying to predict next year using this year as a prior. So, right, I think that's a great <laughs> point. Uh, I think Exhibit A for what you're talking. This might have been what you what inspired you to ask this question. But Jahan Dotson, like the one guy on Penn State's team that you can say is balling out right now. Uh, his quote after the game, we are not as one right now. We are not a unit right now. There are distractions that we shouldn't be focused on right now. We've got to be focused on getting in the win column, nothing else. He goes on to say, we're not a good football team right now. We got to have everyone 100% bought in and we got to work. Monday's a day off. We got to see every guy in the building, literally from top to bottom. We got to see every guy in the building just doing something to get better every single day. That's what's going to start. It's going to start tomorrow. Um, we're going to see who really wants it, who wants to be here, bought in. If you don't, there's no time for that. We're 0-3. It's time to see the turn. There's a lot of reading between the lines in those quotes. There's a lot of like, all right, I, I hear you. <laughs> I see what you're, I hear what you're saying, Jahan, like loud and clear. Like there's, there's some guys that are not feeling this season and they probably would be pro- feel a little better about things if they're 2-0 and instead of 0-2 heading into that Maryland game. I mean, Jahan, I kind of feel like we did just see it. Unless uh, right. maybe Jahan is hoping, hey, like, all right, this was the hangover game. Get out of your system. We're 0 and 3. Let's win the final four and and, and win our, our, our matchup there at the end of the season. It look, maybe South Carolina fits that. South Carolina did that off a of bye. 
right? Like maybe the defense is like, okay, we're going to come out, we're going to play hard. Wait, offense, oh, my God, you still suck that bad? All right, guys, like, you know, it's just – Yeah. You, you play defense. You know how hard it, – it, it's It's like like, like when you're, you're pitching a no-hitter and your team can't score any runs. There's nothing. There's nothing more demoralizing, especially if you're on if you're on punt team, because oh. then you go down. Because then you go, you get off the field. You play defense. You may, they maybe get you play like seven plays or something on defense. Get off the field. Get on the bench. Two plays, and then they're like punt team up, and you got to get up because it's third down. And if they don't get a first down, you got to go out there again. So you get like two plays of rest, you know, and and it's just three and out after three and out. There's nothing more demoralizing than that. And that's what, yeah, that's what some point, like, you're just going to, like, what, what more can you do here? We, as, as people who are handicapping these games, we need to be on alert of, like, okay, this team might just seriously quit on the year. Like, not officially quit, but, like, we, we need to mark them as basically just, I'm, I'm blacklisting them from betting on them. Yeah. Um, you know, g- going forward. I, I can't I'm, put Penn I'm State there yet, but, like. Well, we missed our opportunity at Penn yeah. State. Now, because because there there was a perfect that 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 Maryland you didn't bet game, him, did you? No, no, no. Yeah, no, I didn't hell either. no. That was a big number. I wasn't going to do that, but I certainly didn't see that. I, like even the idea that Maryland might sneak up on them and upset them, I think I could have I could have like found that to be believable. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll just like sprinkle a little on the money line in case something crazy happens. Sure, um, worth a shot. But they just just flat out whipped them. Like they, they just like that to, to, to beat them like that was not within the realm of, of possibility from what I envisioned in that game. So, um, so yeah, that was the, that was the, that was like a missed opportunity from a gambling perspective of just being like, all right, Maryland goes from awful to like looking all of a sudden really good one week. Like they are feeling good about themselves. Like, hungry for more in this rivalry game where they've been the little brother. Now Penn state, a team that had playoff aspirations is Owen two coming off the biggest game of the year. And this is a rivalry that they had sort of been dominating. All right, we can just show up and get this done. And no, uh, Maryland had other plans. So like that, I think that was a, that was a real missed missed opportunity at finding some value. Not necessarily picking the win, but certainly like against the spread. That that number was was right for the picking. So sometimes I'll make my number and I'll be like, okay, I'll I'll bet it if it's this, and I'll bet the other side if it's that. And in fact, I, I do that for all games. But like this, the, the the difference between the two numbers is sometimes kind of small. If I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the teams and, and it's around a key number, and then sometimes I'm like, oh right, wait a second here, Maryland has like. Two priors this year. One of them looks absolutely terrible. The other one, they blow out Minnesota. Uh, don't really know what's going to happen there. Penn State, I have no idea they're going to react. I pulled up my Week 10, what I want to bet it at stuff. Uh, I was going to need 21 to take <laughs> take Penn State, and that thing was 27. And I was going to need 31 to take Maryland. So, like, I don't usually have a 10-point gap between those two, but I feel like just if you're handicapping at home, if you have two teams you have great uncertainty about, like my number for this thing was was twenty seven five, so I made a count on both sides. Like, all right, like I really don't want to take Penn State. If they drop me something weird here, I'll take it twenty one. Uh, if they give me thirty one on Maryland, I'll take it. But other than that, it's probably a stay away. God, We're what a the- weird team Maryland is, man. God, forty three to three. Northwestern put up forty three on those guys, and they, they couldn't. They couldn't do a. They couldn't do anything against Northwestern offense, and then t- like. The next two weeks, Talia's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You know, maybe maybe he is tied to his brother playing. Like, Tua gets the start for the Dolphins. True. Talia goes yeah. off. I, okay, so this is just totally off the wall. And and Maryland looked so bad in that first game. Do you remember the Navy-BYU game to start the year? Now, BYU turns out to be really awesome. But, like, we found out that Navy had not actually had contact in practice, which might have contributed them to losing 58 to three or whatever that opening game was. Like Maryland looked like that. Well, you know, I, did I Maryland know not have contact in practice. They, I don't know. I don't know. I Cause they did have the unfortunate, uh, you know, the, 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 like I would imagine Maryland now is pretty high on player safety after the unfortunate accident they had two years ago with Durkin. 
Well, look, I'll say this. Um, early in the early in the season, when like the the, the SEC was playing and the um, Big Tw- the Big Twelve and ACC, they were all playing, right? And I was going to try to hit up a bunch of schools in the Big Ten and kind of do like weekly or biweekly reports on just sort of like, all right, who's flashing in practice? Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, these guys are practicing. You know, there's some there's some standouts. Like, let's let's try to highlight a few of the guys that are emerging. And um, and I and and as it turned out, like teams just weren't really practicing. Like, because they there were a couple that were like Ohio State was. Uh, I think Michigan was, Penn State was, some of the, like, but, but a lot of these schools weren't really getting after it that much because they just weren't able to. And Maryland was one of those, right? I hit up someone in Maryland. I was like, what's like, talk to me. Like, who's looking good? And the response was like, dude, we're not even like on the field. We're, we're not like, we're, we're barely in the building. Like we just had, cause I think they, they may have even had like one of those sort of, you know, outbreaks on the team in, uh, in October, uh, late September or whatever it would have been. So you might be onto something there. Like they might not, they might've just been very late to the game in terms of getting the guys ready. I don't get the sense. I know that, you know, in the off season, in the summer, when other staffs were in the building, at least they just had to sort of stick to protocol. Like Maryland wasn't in the building. Um, so I, you, you, yeah, that you absolutely might be onto something in terms of just maybe their access to the players has been a little more limited than some of the other teams. There's, there's a lot of that behind the scenes that we don't really know. Yeah. Like, that's not heavily reported stuff. And week to week still. Like, it's not just preseason yeah. stuff, man. Like, there's like, hey, this guy was actually out this week for for contact tracing, and and, and we, we, we cleared him on Friday, so he's a go for the game. But, like, he didn't practice all week. I mean, Miami had a bunch of guys out against NC State. Now, I mean, a lot of them weren't necessarily impact dudes, but like, there's probably a reason they gave up 41. Right, you know, it, right. It, this is really hard to track. I mean, like in in my my power ratings, I, I I have you know different columns like a coaching adjustment column or a COVID adjustment column, and then an injury adjustment column. Then I have notes, and it'll be it'll be like, hey, remove this after such and such date, right? Because like you put it in, and then you know, like a negative one or a negative two or whatever, whatever I feel it should be. Although it's not actually working this year, I still have a negative ROI in my preseason bets. Um, 22% ROI live live wagering. Negative 2% ROI per game bets. Like if not for content, I would just I would just do total in-game stuff at this point. Like so I, I can watch a drive or two and make sure like the team has the players who are supposed to be on the field and you know, just yeah. Did you go did you pull the trigger on Florida, by the way? Uh yeah, money line. I played nice. money line. That was actually it was uh I played Florida. And uh, Notre Dame on the money line both this weekend. Um, so that that I, I've like pretty, I'm just treading water all year long. Like I've actually had the last three years have been pretty like lights out for me in terms of my my picks. I'm just treading water this year. I'm literally I think like down twenty dollars on the season or something like like basically just dead even. Um, and and a lot of that is just like. Like that, like this weekend, like the playing, playing Florida money line, Notre Dame money line, like I otherwise lost more than I won, but those were enough to sort of keep me in the, in the black for the, for the day. I hit uh, Florida, Georgia under 71 and a half live. And then the pick six happened. I was like, okay, well now I'm in a live bet Florida by a bigger margin. And so I took Florida minus four and a half plus 176, uh, which cash. And then I also hit under 82 and a half because I was like, well, I mean, like Georgia's offense looks, looks absolutely terrible. By the way, I was ripping through some of these advanced box scores that you know Stats of War on Twitter has. Georgia had a twenty-three percent success rate in that game. Like that's not all Georgia ineptitude. I mean, there's a good part of that, but credit to Florida's defense. Like they, after that first play, I think Georgia had like two hundred yards in their next fifty-seven plays. Like to end the game after that seventy-five yard open open the deal. That was. Uh, man georgia is such a fascinating like case study and just this it's just such a it's just such a maddening puddle puzzle to try to put together that i feel like sometimes florida it does like has has just been a little bit of an afterthought 
in terms of like the getting the credit it deserves for that. I know like on the cover three podcasts, like on our reaction pod the other night, uh, I feel like we talked the whole time about Georgia, but you're right. Like, and I think we've done a good job today at least of like um, giving Florida it's due, but Florida is like Florida did that. Like that wasn't a failure of Georgia. That was a Fl- Florida going in there and just being a lot better. Um, and so they've, they got something cooking. They do. Look at that, man. Right at an hour. I like it. When Tani puts in the ad read, it'll be like probably an hour and five, which is awesome. Hope you all have a great Monday morning, or if you're on the West Coast, hope you all hit this before you go to bed on Sunday evening. Bart, you got anything else? I think I'm I think, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. We'll, uh, we'll reconvene midweek, um, and, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll start to, start to pick up the pace a little bit. Get this thing, get this playoff talk going soon. This Do is, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got it. Um, we're learning one week at a time. <laughs>